Welcome back to the Good Evening Podcast. And as you all know, if you've been listening for a while, you know that I like to meet dope people who I think that you should know too. And that's why on today's episode, I have a guest who a mutual friend of ours connected us. You all heard the episode with Hillary Seiler a while back and she connected me with Jennifer. And Jennifer has a podcast herself called Micro Empires, which by the way, I love that name. Micro Empires, I thought was so good, so fitting. But I listened to episodes in your podcast. We had a conversation and I just felt like you have so much knowledge to offer, especially for people who may find themselves in a tough spot financially, in a financial rut, in a life rut. But your story is is one of lessons through very tough life events, I feel like. Um, so as we get started, uh, I just wanted to start with, you know, could you share a little bit of your story? Sure. Thank you uh, for having me on. I really appreciate it. Uh, my story encapsulated into 30 seconds is that I lost, I lost everything twice. So no job, no car, no place to live, two kids to raise, chapter 13 bankruptcy. And I did that twice. Um, and I, I, I emphasize the fact that it doesn't really matter how I got there, but I will share how I got there. How I got there wasn't because I bought expensive cars and clothes and purses. My financial mistakes were relational. So first I was married to somebody who sued me 25 times in 10 years. And that put me into financial ruin. And the second time was still because of the same reason, but I had also been in a relationship for seven years where I had turned my financial well-being over to someone else, which I have an episode called the never, ever, ever's. And that's at the top of the list of things to never, ever, ever do. But the second time that I came out of that, I knew I had to rebuild, but I was going to rebuild in a way where I was going to create small empires for wealth and security. So I knew I was going to get a job. I was going to get a job and I've always been in corporate sales. This is another thing on the outside. I looked like somebody who was fairly, you know, doing well. I was earning a good money well into the six figures always had been because I'd been an executive salesperson, but I knew I was going to get a job like that. But I also knew that a job is never enough and that I could yeah. be let go at any time. Certainly that happened. I've certainly been fired. So I knew I had to create small empires. And once I got back on my feet, rebuilding my credit, which I detail in my show. So if anybody wants to know how to do that, it's all detailed. In four years, I built $1.4 million in income producing investments. And I did that through house hacking, through using a 401k, through all of these tools that are available to anyone really. And I didn't know about it. And I was like, this all seems like a big secret and that's crazy. So that was my impetus for sort of coming out of the closet, telling my story and sharing it. And it's kind of blown up into, you know, I think the vulnerability factor has really hit home with folks uh, when they listen to me and about my story. Oh, definitely. I think that was one of the things that I found most relatable to just, you know, how how open you were about these things that happen. I love what you said about, you know, building small empires for wealth and security, right? Mm-hmm. You don't even have to be wealthy to build wealth. You know, in my world, right? You talk about pro sports. What I find is a lot of players, whenever they come into all this money, they end up making the other mistake where it's transactional instead of relational. You know, right. the relational piece ends up coming afterwards because unfortunately, a lot of times money changes the people around you, but the transactional piece is because they'll go and buy the car, they'll go and buy the clothes, they'll buy the jewelry. Next thing you know, 
Okay, I'm really I'm really running low on these funds. But right. one thing that you said, um, and I want to kind of dive deeper into this. You said that hey, you knew that you know you can have a job, you can do sales, you can have six figures, but success can look one way, but success can actually be a completely different thing. What, what do you mean by that? Like hey, this is how success looks, and you can look on the outside like you have it all together, versus now you know that this was what financial success actually is. Right. You know, I ask folks every day what wealth means to them. For me, it means two things, time and options. So I want to dictate my time and how I spend it. And I want to have options. The average American cannot handle a $400 emergency. And for most of us who grew up as an average American or even got out into the world as a young person, you know that if you're driving along the freeway and your tire blows out, that is a serious problem. Oh, yeah. Um, and I want to be in a position where that's not a problem or it's that I have options. And that's what money gives you. Money gives mm-hmm. you options. I think I knew this because the way my money culture, how I grew up um, and what I believed, but then you, you marry other people. So you marry into another money culture and hopefully, yeah. hopefully it's, you know, matches yours and you can build <laughs> together. But if it doesn't, it's typically a big problem. Um, for me, I always knew that that security was important. And when it got taken away anytime and, you know, losing a job was a big time where all of a sudden your entire well-being is tied to one thing, yeah. it goes, it goes away. So I just knew that I needed security. I needed things to fall back on. And that's not just a savings account. And I knew I didn't want to work forever. I knew mm-hmm. I wanted to, the older I got work less, make more or work less and have my money making more. Yeah. So and I knew people were doing it and I knew I could figure it out. So I think that's it. And, and, you know, the micro empire's name is interesting because I, I got a lot of pushback when I first started. And I believed like when I went through my, my divorce, when I was, mm-hmm. my kids were one and three, I moved into a little apartment that I couldn't afford someone else. My mother had to pay for it. And I was terrified and broke, but that apartment was my castle because yeah. it's mine. And I think it's important to look at that. Like we can downplay, oh, I just have a little house. I don't have a, you know, nothing. No, everything that we have that we've pulled together, we should be protective of and proud of and look at it that way. That's part of the the relationship with money, the money culture and respecting money, respecting what you have. And, And that bleeds into other things. Like when people, and I don't know how it works at professional sports, but I can imagine when I first started to get back on my feet and have a lot of success, people came out of the woodwork trying to tell me how to spend my money. Oh yeah. And I'm not a famous person. You can't, well, you might be able to Google me now, but, um, at least I had learned that lesson where I was like, the only person who decides how I spend my money is me period. I love that. And that doesn't mean you don't hire professionals, but there's a whole lot of gut feeling and working with people that, you know, like, and trust, trust being the most important word. So that's what that all meant to me. And that became really clear. And I, to this day, that's why my network is always up and running and always will be to the day I die. And that's why I never say no to opportunity. Mm. I'll say, I'll say, let me look at it. So I still get approached for corporate jobs and I'm like, I'll look at it. (laughs) You know, um, (laughs) I think that's important. I think that's really important. I know I'm the same way. I I feel like the way that I think about money right now 
is even different than the way I thought about money just 12 months ago before, you know, the pandemic hit or as the pandemic was, was, was hitting. And, you know, one of the things that you said is just that gut feeling, that intuition. Athletes, oftentimes, they have the best intuition out of anybody that you will ever meet because they're so used to betting individuals. But for whatever reason, whenever it comes to money, it's like, hey, I'm just going to trust my guy. You know, that's how it always goes. Hey, my FA is going to handle that. My financial advisor is going to do this. But yep. that gut feeling, you know, that intuition really does go a long way. And whenever you learn how to trust that and listen to that and couple that with the knowledge, right, the appropriate knowledge, that makes such a huge difference. Um, right. Even in marriage, those money conversations that have to take place beforehand are huge. And yep. unfortunately, people just don't even realize that, right? They just they don't know. They don't know. And it's really uncomfortable as a culture. That's why I always talk about money culture. So it's also how you grew up, but how you feel. So, um, I, and when you come on my show, I'll be asking you about yours, how you grew up and how, and how it is now it's really important. Um, so I was, I'm a newlywed, so I will be married three years in May. Let's go. Yeah. And, but I was single for 20 years, mostly due to my personality, but anyway, that's another show <laughs> altogether. <laughs> um, but he was, we both were, um, we both were the alphas in our family. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are, we have adult children. We have six adult children between us. I had been a single mother for, since my kids were one and three. Um, we b- both were the financial providers in our family. So we both came with a strong worth work ethic and a desire to provide, but yeah. we also came with that. We were both in charge and that is a constant negotiation. And he's a former athlete as well. Oh yeah. So that's, that's a constant negotiation. And I, 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 I will say he has bent in my direction far more than I've bent in his, but some of that is coming to the table with, look, this is where my money culture sits. Mine sits in fear because I grew up being afraid. And then I experienced extreme situations that were so scary. Mm-hmm. So he knows we're not ever going to live above our means because I won't sleep and yeah. I'll make him miserable. Um, so could we live a different life? Could we live a little more glamorous? And by the way, we have a beautiful life. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Sure. But I don't, I don't live beyond my means. I don't want to, I don't ever want to be scared if I can avoid it. I don't ever want to be financially terrified again. That's wisdom that is only learned through experience. I feel like, you know, some people gain wisdom through going through it by themselves or to learn from other people, but there are certain things you just have to experience for yourself. So, you know, one of the things you talk about is at the second time, after the second time filing for the bankruptcy, you had to go and live with your sister for a while. And, (laughs) you know, one of the things that I struggle with to, to this day, you know, is whenever I know I need help from other people, my pride gets in the way. You know, I, I don't ask. I love to help other people. You know, people ask me for help. Hey, I'll go out of my way to help others. But I just don't know when to actually say, hey, I'm struggling right now. Can you, you know, can you help me out in this situation? What was that like for you? Right. Saying like, hey, I'm an open book. Vulnerability is there. I'm struggling um, and I need I need somebody to help me get through this. Right. Uh, in that instance, I was very fortunate. My sis, both sisters came over the day that I was moving out seven year relationship and I was packed and out of that house in two hours. Um, mm. But my sisters were sitting on the couch and this is something that I teach now. Um, I teach and I have a free ebook and you know, whatever you can always find it in, in my episodes, but the first What's thing the name I of your t- ebook, um, it's pivot and thrive, but I am in the process of writing a new one called you don't have to be wealthy to build wealth. It will be free and it will walk folks through sort of the basics of this. But step one is to assess where you are right now. 
And a lot of what we do is we try to cling to what we had, right? So in that moment, that second time, I was living in a nice neighborhood. My kids were in private school, which is crazy when I think back on it. I mean, they were on scholarships, but what the hell was I doing? I was drinking the Kool-Aid. And so I was trying to figure out how to get a place to rent in that neighborhood, keep them in their, in their private schools and, uh, you know, how to maintain what I had when you start to assess the first thing you might want to accept and usually have to accept is ain't nothing going to stay the same. Yeah. It's like when COVID, when COVID hit, our world has changed forever. Um, and it was my sister who said, you have other options. You can live with us. And it was her wisdom. Um, cause that's not, and our relationship was not good at the time. So I was wow. really surprised, but that made the most sense. And, uh, and that all happened. I said, yes. And like, literally she went home and cleaned out a closet in a room and, and we moved in. Um, but that was the absolute right thing to do. The last thing I needed to do was to go and try to keep and cling to what I had quickly within a few months. It was clear that my kids didn't need to stay in private school, that we could live somewhere else. Um, we could live a different life and be very, very happy. Uh, the first time I had uh, went, that it happened. I moved back in with my mom in New Hampshire, uh, with two kids and two suitcases. And I always say I lived with her for two years, nine months, eight days, four hours and 39 seconds, (laughs) but who's counting, you know, um, but you know, the fairness is it was no walk in the park for my mother either. Like Mm. getting your adult daughter home with two toddlers who were basically in diapers at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, but by doing that, so assess a step one and Step two is to ask, and it is asking for what you need, but also asking yourself, like, how comfortable can I be uncomfortable? Maybe I am going to move in with my family. Maybe it's for six months. Um, and I don't know. I just, it, it was such a, it turned out to be such a blessing. It was such a warm, beautiful place to be. I'd been a single mother all these years to move in with another family. They had had a, a daughter who was close to my kid's age. She was a senior yeah. in high school, you know, to have a man coming home every night to see an example of a man and a father was mm. great for my kids. And we were there for four months. I'm sure she can count the seconds till we moved out, but <laughs> they were gracious. And I'm not really sure what we would have done otherwise, to be honest. I remember a specific story with a player who after the season had ended, he came up to me, this was January, 2018. And Mm -hmm. he just said, look, man, I am really uh, dreading going back home right now. I'm like, why? Wow. Well, I just got drafted. So, you know, I have a couple million dollars and I know that as soon as I go home, everybody's going to be asking me for everything, you know? And if, if I don't set any boundaries, they're going to run me dry. They're going to drain my bank account. And Mm -hmm. whenever I come back here for the next season, I might be living paycheck to paycheck. So we came up with a game plan with him, right? We said, hey, here's what you can do to actually help your family. But you have to stick to just this number. And then the rest of it has to be helping your family help themselves. So as you're in this situation, you had to stop and like really think to how can I help myself? Second time going through this bankruptcy, um, where did your mindset really start to shift? Like, where did you start saying, I need to do this differently. You know, you start, you, you went through those first two steps, you assess, you ask yourself the questions, but now it's all right, actionable steps. What can I do right now? Right. And that is the third step. It's to act. So at that exact moment, you know, I moved in with my sister. I spent the four months, um, 
you know, looking for a job. I had been out of the workforce and the, the, the corporate workforce for four years, and it was my network that landed me a job. So that's mm. another thing. When I talk about like my resume is polished to this day, my LinkedIn is up to date to this day. I am yeah. networking to this day because that is an investment in yourself. Um, I heard somebody say to me the other day, I don't have a plan B because it means I don't believe in myself. Mm. And I think that oh. is BS. <laughs> I have a million plan Bs because I do believe in myself. Ah, so like I'm, I'm building a business, all that stuff, but I got a plan B because, you know, I love my husband, but we talk about money and our separate investments and everything going on. Plan B is the belief in yourself. Mm. So anyway, uh, back to your question, uh, moving in with her, getting a job, but when did my mind start to shift? Cause it, I was still in survival mode. It was get a job, get a place to live. I knew that I had to rebuild my credit before I did anything. So that was a long process. And then I knew I had to get a piece of real estate. I felt like that was the best way for me mm. to get into that. And I did that, but probably not until I started to surround myself, which is also really important with people who are way smarter than me. I like to be in a room where I don't speak the language. It might be why yes. I love speaking with athletes because I know nothing about sports. As you know, <laughs> I joined an investor group, a real estate investment group. And like, that's where it was like self-directed IRA, 1031 exchanges, buy and hold, flips, multifamily, trailer parks, you know, all this stuff. And I had no idea what they were talking about. And I loved it, but I knew there was opportunity. And that's when I started down that path. And that made me realize I could create another income on the side next to my corporate income. And that's when I found Airbnb. And it was in 2014 here in Nashville. Nobody was doing it. People thought I was crazy. And I started like sleeping on people's couches. Now at this point, my kids have grown up and moved out and I'm legit like, you know, Hey, can I stay on your couch? Can I stay? Cause I've rented my house for the weekend. Yeah. People thought that was crazy but six nights a month paid my mortgage. Wow. So I'm like, I'm willing to eat sandwiches and sofa surf for six nights a month, but that's also being comfortable with being uncomfortable, right? I didn't love mm -hmm. that. I didn't love it, but I sure loved it when suddenly it not only replaced my income, it exceeded my income. And then by borrowing against my 401k, I bought a second house, mm. moved into it, did the same thing borrowed against my 401k, bought a third house, moved wow. into it, did the same thing. And that's how I built those empires and kept my corporate job at the same time. So you go, you fix your credit and now you're able to leverage your 401k, which by the way, I, I didn't, I don't think until after we spoke that I realized, oh wow, you can actually leverage your 401k without it getting taxed to exactly. get property, to get real exactly. estate. And I had so, no idea. Yeah. And let me spend a little time on that because I didn't, I didn't know it either. So if you're working for a company and you have a 401k, typically you have to call the 401k provider, but typically you call them and you say, is it possible for me to borrow? And they will have a, an amount that you can borrow, a percentage of what you have in there that you can borrow. So for me, it was $20,000. It's another thing I do on my show. I share all of my numbers because that's part of the whole thing that frustrates me, whether it's entrepreneurs or real estate investors or gurus or whatever, oh, they're man. telling you they're killing it but they're never telling you what is killing it mean to you. Yeah. Um, so I had, I think I had a hundred thousand in there at the time and I had been just racking it up because I had liquidated everything. I mean, I, mm. I didn't have that available. That's scary. Yes. So they said, uh, you can borrow $22,000. So I said, yes, please send me that check today. They sent the check. 
how I paid it back. I pay it back through my paycheck, through my employer with interest. It was like 4% interest, but I'm paying myself back. Mm. So that's fine. It was yeah, a tiny little payment. It was nothing. It was really a tiny payment. The only caveat, if you leave that job, you have to pay it all when you leave. So I paid myself back and then I went right back in and said, I want to borrow that 22,000 again and paid it back. So the first time I wow. paid off my car and uh, paid off some debt that I had. The mm -hmm. second time I bought a house with $11,000 because you can put 3% down on a house. So I put 3% mm -hmm. down. I had good credit. Uh, was that morning. through a FHA loan? It's well, any home, another little secret, if it's your primary residence and you have good credit, you can typically secure that home for three to 5%. It, you must move into it though. And again, yeah. comfort, discomfort. Did I enjoy moving all the time? I think I moved like five times in 18 months. No, mm. but I knew it was a path to my security. So my first home, I basically made myself homeless. Airbnb took off. People wanted my house seven days a week. I was happy to give it to them. I was able to ultimately that first house, I was able to be charging 675 a night on the weekends. It's wow. crazy. And where were you staying at during that time? Good question. Um, <laughs> I was staying, well, that's when I realized I needed a second home. So I borrowed against the 401k, bought another home. I always buy in neighborhoods that are evolving. I had mm -hmm. learned that from my real estate investor group. Awesome. But when I moved into that second place and I tell this story, it was a brand new build because I'm not a handy person. It was $260,000, share that as well. But this neighborhood was rough. If you live here in Nashville, it's Cleveland Heights, which now has changed. But in 2015, it was still rough. The neighbor mm -hmm. directly across the street had a huge swastika flag hanging in his oh, wow. window. Yeah. Mm. So not, not great. And there was a crack house next to me. You got to have a little vision when you move yeah. into this place, yeah. but I moved in literally with a suitcase and a dog. So, and an air mattress, because I had to leave everything, the dishes, the, the glasses, every, and you had to, you have to furnish the whole thing. So I did that over six months. I was fine. You know, living out of a suitcase, that's fine. Over six months, got it up and running, put it on Airbnb and went out to the third house and did the same thing. So it. yeah, it was good. So house hacking combined with, you know, the 401k hacking and, and money manipulation, which is yeah. what it really. Yeah. Cause my wife and I, we've been talking about house hacking, as I told you before, you know, we've been looking at certain multifamily properties and trying to figure out, okay, if we live in one unit, we rent out the others, what that would look like. But as I talk to you, you have all these, you know, these quote unquote secrets, right? Yeah. It, it, and they're it, not. And that's the thing, like it, it's known, but that's why I always call it like, I, I love real estate ever since I started really diving deep into it. Honestly, I love everything about the industry. And the more that I learn about it, the more I'm like, oh, I can see why people really get, you know, addicted and excited about this thing. But you just don't know what you don't know. You exactly. don't know what you don't know. And whenever you were going about and learning and acquiring this knowledge, was it from people or were you doing just independent research? What did you find as like the best tactic to actually figure out uh, you know, what the heck you were doing. You know, it's interesting. I was listening to your episodes this morning. And one of the things you said, I thought, I want to talk to him about that. Um, I think it's important to play to your strengths. So my strengths are I'm an inch deep and a mile wide. I know a little bit about a lot of things. And yeah. then I go consult an expert. So I also learned that way as well. Well, I listen to podcasts. We shared a little secret before we got on here about how I can do that really fast. You know, I taught myself to speed read. I joined groups. I, yeah. I asked people. So when I joined that real estate investor group, 
there was a guy there who's still a dear friend of this day. And I was like, what is this door knocking? What is this thing mm. called wholesaling? Wholesaling, yeah. And he put me in the car and we spent the day driving and door knocking. And I was like, this is cool. And it's not for me. Uh, you got to go where your strengths are. So that's how I learned all that. And I, of course, read, if you haven't read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, it's called the, the Purple Bible. And it, it is a mindset shift. Yeah. Um, and the 401k thing was just really happenstance because many of these entrepreneurs, real estate investors don't have a 401k because they aren't working at a corporate job. Mm-hmm. That was happenstance. And borrowing from your 401k is different than cashing it out and creating a vehicle. So the other thing I learned was that I could take the entire 401k when I left my job, move it to something called a self-directed IRA mm-hmm. without tax or penalty and invest in real estate. When I found that out, I quit my job to get that money. Now I got another job first because I have a fear-based money culture, (laughs) but um, I quit my job and I was like, give me my money. I put it immediately into a self-directed 401k. Now my husband also had never heard of that. He did the same thing Mm. and we've invested. We did a land deal. We just cashed out of that. And there's rules around that. I won't go into detail. There are people who can help you that, but there are so many ways to use what you have. Um, there are other tools as well. If you're a W-2 employee, there's there's quite a few things that you can use. Mm. See, I always call this the wealthy person's game because it sounds intimidating. You know, mm-hmm. whenever you're listening to all these terms, it sounds intimidating. But once you understand it and you're able to actually break it down in your own language, in your own terms, that's when you're like, okay, this makes a lot of sense. Because, you know, as I have been exposed, I've been fortunate to, you know, get in rooms with some pretty wealthy people. And a couple of things that I've learned is wealthy people don't trade their time for money, right? Yep. That's one of the things they do. They understand the value of having that passive income. They let them, they let their money work for them. Yes. And then um, they understand the value of adding value to other people. Right. right. You know, the more right. people you add value to, the more people know where to connect you. And then the more that people are willing to pay you. And um, so, you know, I learned these money lessons. And then whenever it comes to actual investments, you know, some of the stuff that you're talking about, it's like, hey, wealthy people, stocks, real estate, and then they have to run some type of business, you know, run something, even if it's just a brand, a podcast, you know, something Mm -hmm. like that, you know, which, by the way, somebody just earlier this week was telling me, hey, one of the best networking tools that you can have is having a podcast. Yep. (laughs) Because then you can just go up to people and be like, hey, I'd love to have you on my podcast. Right. Hey, let's get a photo together, you know? Right. If you want to become a super famous, wealthy podcaster, I mean, good luck. Some people are, (laughs) that's never been my goal. It's, you know, it's a great repository. It's an incredible networking tool. It's a great marketing tool. It's also a great way to be able to say to somebody, listen to episode eight, if you want to learn all about, you know, self-directed IRAs or, or whatever, because I had the expert on my show. It's just, it's a great, it really is a great platform. I really love it. No, absolutely. So where do you find yourself just getting the knowledge from now? Is it mostly just through the conversations that you're having? Or are you reading certain books or articles? I'm always reading a book. Um, I'm reading several books. Uh, I actually had the epiphany. So as I'm go- going through my podcast, I'm thinking, all right, well, doing the work and everything, building the brand, I would love to be generating income. Mm-hmm. What's going to speak to my sweet spot? There's coaching, there's courses. I will have a course available and that's going to be sort of a kind of covering the basics because I get asked the same questions over and over again. But when it comes to one-on-one coaching, I do do that for folks, but I don't enjoy it. I don't love Mm. it unless it's the right person who is going to take it and run, but it's a big responsibility, et cetera. 
So as I was going through all of this, what became abundantly clear, and you'll see this if you're interested in multifamily, is that for every person who's buying multifamily and doing syndication, they're raising money, they're raising capital, they're getting investors together. And you might be an incredible operator, meaning you're going to run 600 doors in 12 states or whatever, however it is that you're 6,000 doors in 12 states, but you don't want to raise the money. Well, with my background in sales and technology, I was like, well, that's my sweet spot. Yeah. All, I ever, all I ever did was raise money. In fact, I did the math one time. I sold $47 million for other people during my career. Wow. And that, that helped me go, surely I can do this. So mm-hmm. I'm focusing now on raising capital because it is a career. It is a different industry. The good thing about, I think, losing everything over and over and over and starting over again, I have no fear about being yeah. the dumbest person in the room. I have a fear about asking questions. And I don't have any fear of not knowing what I don't know. If I lead with that and I'm honest about it, my fears are around, here's what I am afraid of and will never happen. My integrity is incredibly important. So I won't partner with people if I don't trust them. And I certainly won't be bringing in investors to anything that I'm not, I'm going to invest in everything that I recommend for them, but I need to see them succeed. I need them to have only nice things to say about what I do and what I bring. And, and the truth is you don't have to do that a thousand times over. You can do that with a small group of people. You know, what do you, what do you want out of life? What's, what does wealth mean to you? And again, for me, it's like, if I can do two or three deals a year and it can continue to multiply and I can spend more time with my family, mm-hmm. that's what I want. I've already got two grandbabies. I'm hoping for more in the future between all of our kids all our six adults. And I want to travel more, even more yeah. than, than we already do. That's incredible. You know, whenever you've been to rock bottom, you have no fear of, you know what, whatever I'm about to experience can't be any worse of what I've already been through. Right. And that gives you a certain level of courage. I love that learning yeah. from the lessons. So if somebody is listening and maybe they feel like, you know what, this is good information, but it might be a little too late for me. You know, so much has happened. Time has passed by. I'm in my 40s. I'm in my 50s. What advice would you give to that person who may be feeling like, hey, I'm just running short on time right now? Right. Well, the second time uh, I found myself in that circumstance, I was 41 years old. Mm. By the time, uh, let's see, it took three years. So Uh, then I was 44 years old when I was able to purchase that home. And then in the following three years is when I was doing all that moving and building. So by 47, 47, I had amassed that. Um, and I'm, I just, my birthday was last week. It was in Florida. Uh, Thank you. (laughs) I am 50, I'm 53 years old and I just, and I'm starting a new career. That's I'm starting a new career age is a mindset. And here's what I'm, here's what I would say to those folks and especially to women. I hope there's a lot of women in your audience as well. Um, it's not going to get easier. You're not, it's not easier to earn money at 70 and the statistics around money and age are really frightening. And for a lot of women, especially maybe they experience divorce after 27, 30 years of marriage, and they find themselves, you know, in a financially difficult place saying to yourself, well, maybe I'll meet somebody is not a retirement plan. Yeah. You know, a uh, second marriage is not a retirement plan. You really do. And you really should be reliant on yourself. So I just am a believer that you're never too old to learn at all times and learning. This is part of the humbleness, right? I have so much to learn from you just because oh. I'm old enough to be your mama. Doesn't mean that I don't have 
something to learn from you. And that's what keeps us young. Yeah. Like I think my, the people I hang out with and spend time with majority of which are at least 10, 15, 20 years younger than me. Wow. I just enjoy it. I'm, I'm a born uh, learner. I want to learn to the day I die and starting over. I, I think for many of us, it does happen in our forties and our fifties, and it is never too late. And the final thing I'll say on that is most people think they're in a worse position than they are. I can't tell you how many people, cause I talk to people about their money every day. And the first thing I th- say is assess or take stock. Yeah. And when we start going through it, it's like, oh my gosh, you know, I've got this house and yes, it has 200,000 in equity and I've got my job and I have some savings. And I have an old 401k and I'm like, you're all, you are set. If yeah. you just, you just take that and we just manipulate and you surround yourself with experts and don't be in a hurry. I heard Hillary say this too. Don't be in a hurry. Just find the right team, find the right and you, and that's why I call it micro empires. You also don't have to put everything into one thing. You can put a little in, you could put 10 yeah. grand into a deal, see how it goes. You know, you could start small and don't let anybody pressure you into starting bigger. It's your money. It's your empire. You need to protect it. Oh, I love that. I love that. And that's what it is. It's all about being a lifelong learner. And I tell you what, I hope that anybody who listens to this is able to learn get a ton of lessons. I know that I'm going to be listening to the Micro Empires podcast even more to to learn some more. But Jennifer Grimson, really appreciate you being on the podcast. And if you all enjoy this episode, I would encourage you to actually go back and listen to it again. Figure out how you can manipulate money and share this with somebody who you think may find it useful. And as you do that, also remember to do another thing. Have yourself a good evening.